Well, I came across a story recently about a guy named Walter. Uh, anybody got any buddies named Walter? You do? Got one? All right. Well, I came across, there's a story, I don't know any guys named Walter. Uh, but there's a story about this guy named Walter. He worked for a newspaper, so it's some time ago. Um, and he worked in the newspaper office, you know, writing some stuff. And uh, he ended up getting fired from the newspaper job because his boss told him that he was not creative, he was not innovative, and he was not a self-motivated guy. And so he fired him from the newspaper job. And so Walter was kind of floundering there for a little bit, trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. You know, because he, he felt like even though his boss told him that, he still felt like he was creative. He felt like he was innovative, that he still had something to contribute. And so uh, he tried to start up this one company, uh, and it failed miserably. I mean, just absolutely bombed to the point that his finances were ruined and the only food he could afford to buy to eat was dog food. Uh, and so Walter was eating dog food, trying to come up with ideas of, of what to do with the rest of his life. Um, and uh, he and his brother, Roy, had this idea. And so they moved to a different state and started this company. And the company went gangbusters. I mean, they did so successful. But he had to come to this point in his life that when things weren't going his way, what was he going to do? When he got fired from that newspaper job and life didn't go his way, what was he going to do? Well, he continued to persevere. When his next business he tried failed terribly and he was eating dog food in his house and things didn't go his way, what was he going to do? And that's a question we ask ourselves a lot. What do I need to do when things don't go my way? When things don't go my way, what am I going to do next? And so what Walter did with this company, he started with his brother, uh, a company that ended up being called the Walt Disney Company. That's who Walter was, Walt Disney. And he and his brother started that company, the Walt Disney Company. And it went on to become what it is today, one of the largest and most profitable organizations in the world. Uh, all started because of a guy who has, was fired from a newspaper because he wasn't innovative, he wasn't self-motivated, and he wasn't creative, of all things. If there's anybody in the history of the world who was creative, I would think Walt Disney's pretty creative. Uh, but then he tried another company, and that entertainment company, just, it just didn't work. I mean, nobody would buy what he was selling uh, until he started making a cartoon of a mouse. And that thing took off like crazy. And, uh, and so what ended up happening with him, when life didn't go his way, he persevered. He didn't give up. He, he, he also didn't accept the label that other people put on him and continued to go in the direction he felt called to go. And so when we look at our own lives and we, we make that, own, that same statement, what do I need to do when things don't go my way? And that's the title of the message today. What do I need to do when things don't go my way? Has anybody ever felt like things don't go your way sometime? Oh yeah, amen. <laughs> and so we ask, what, what do we do then? I mean, what do, do we try to force it? Do we try to just see what comes next? I mean, what do we do when things aren't going my way? And so the scripture we're going to look at today is about this exact same thing. We've been looking at the life of Joseph uh, from Genesis. And Joseph had a hard time in his life. You know, he was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. Sold in, into slavery in the house of an Egyptian official. And the Egyptians were known for being harsh, not for being kind and compassionate. And so he sold into slavery in the house of the Egyptians. 
uh, in the house of this Egyptian official. And then he's falsely accused of a crime and gets thrown into prison there in a foreign country. Not knowing if he's ever going to see his family again. Not knowing if he's going to live to see tomorrow. He's in prison in Egypt. And he's heard all these stories about Egypt growing up and the kind of people that live down there and the kind of rough nature that is. And he's down there in prison not knowing if anything's ever going to happen. His life not, hasn't turned out at all like what he thought. His life hadn't turned out like what he thought God wanted his life to look like. He's being in prison in a foreign country. Obviously, things in Joseph's life are not going his way. At least that's his perception. And that's where we get, when we get to Genesis chapter 40, which is where we're going to be today. Genesis chapter 40. It'll be on the screens. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it to Genesis 40. You can use a the Bible there on the rack in front of you. It's on page 33 if you want to flip to that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible home. That is your Bible. Uh, write your name in it with one of those little tiny golf pencils if it has any lead in it. Uh, that's your Bible. You can keep it. Um, Genesis chapter 40 is where we're going to be. We come across Joseph. He's in prison. So Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. So we've got the cupbearer and the baker offend the king in some way. Now the cupbearer was responsible for everything the king drank. And the baker was responsible for everything the king ate. And so something happened in a meal the king had. So either the king, the pharaoh, either he thought that this meal, was, they were trying to kill him. And so he said, well, everybody who was involved in the food, you know, they're conspiring to kill me. Or maybe he just got sick after the meal and he wasn't sure if he was sick from what he drank or sick from what he ate. Or maybe he just didn't like dinner that night. But for whatever reason, he put the two guys who were in charge of the meal and he threw them in prison. And they get thrown uh, in this prison here uh, with uh, Joseph, actually. Verse 2. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Now, maybe uh, we're going to look at these two verses. Just I want to point out something to you that I never noticed, having read this many, many times, having preached this many, many times. Maybe you're a more attentive reader than I am. But did you catch something there? Pharaoh put the chief cupbearer and baker in prison in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard where Joseph was confined. And then the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, to be over them, to be in charge of them. And they continued with him for some time. So who's the captain of the guard? Potiphar. Potiphar, who was Joseph's slave master. And so what we find when we look at this, and we're going to see it again here in a minute later on in the passage, somehow this prison is linked to the house of Potiphar. There's many scholars doing some research into this believe Potiphar and the prison were actually located in the same complex, that the prison was a part of Potiphar's house, that maybe it was a shed out back or something, but it was a part of his house. And so the prison was under Potiphar's authority. And so Potiphar, his wife, Potiphar's wife says that Joseph did something inappropriate and so Potiphar takes Joseph and puts him in prison. In the prison, Potiphar was in charge of. And then Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of the prison that Potiphar's in charge of. So something going on here 
quite possibly, I'll tell you, just as an aside, every commentator I read does not believe that Potiphar believed his wife. They don't think Potiphar believed that the accusation his wife was making was accurate, which is why he put him in that prison, which is why he put him in charge of that prison, which is why these other guys get thrown into prison. He gives them to Joseph because he trusts Joseph, which we read last week in, in Genesis 39. He trusts Joseph implicitly. And so he felt like he, it, it, what these commentators said is, is Potiphar probably felt like because of his wife's accusation, he had to do something. And so he had to throw Joseph, I mean, common law in Egypt would have said he would have executed Joseph. But instead of executing Joseph, he put him into a prison that he himself was over. And so he puts Joseph in there, and uh, he gets this chief cupbearer and this chief baker under Joseph's authority. Verse 5. One night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody, in his master's house. That's another thing that indicates we, this is Potiphar's house. It's in his master's house. Why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. So there's one night comes, we don't know how much time has passed since they've been in prison, but sometime. They have these dreams, and they're different, and they're concerned because they want to know what these dreams mean. Now, I would say, I mean, having dreamed a few dreams and heard some of your dreams, uh, the vast majority of dreams don't mean anything. They probably mean you ate some weird tacos yesterday. Uh, sometimes God speaks through dreams, not always, on occasion, uh, but very, very rarely. But <clears throat> in this particular case, God is speaking here. But they don't know that yet. They're going to know it here in a minute. Um, but the Egyptian culture, in their minds, every dream was important. It was the gods speaking to humanity through dreams is the way they did it. So what they had, the Egyptians had, is they had this special room where they kept these special dream books they were basically like instruction manuals on how to interpret dreams, like a step-by-step -step process kind of deal. And they had these special dream book librarians who it was their job to read the dream books and then tell you what your dream meant based on these dream books. Okay, well, you had, you know, so many candles in your dream. Look it up in the dream book. All right, this many candles means this thing because it says it in the dream book. And so that's what these guys would, would say. And so now you've got these this baker and, and this cupbearer in prison, they have these dreams. And being in prison, though, now they don't have access to these dream books anymore. They don't have access to these dream interpreters anymore. And so they're troubled by this. They're not necessarily troubled by what they dreamed. They're troubled because they can't understand what they dreamed. They can't understand, uh, I mean, once we get into it, what God is actually saying to them. And so they want, they, they, they want to understand what they had dreamed, but they wanted to understand it uh, from something that really could not give them understanding. They wanted to go to a source that wasn't the true source. They wanted to go to a source they were comfortable with. They wanted to go to a source that they were used to. They wanted to go to a source that their culture told them, this is how you interpret this thing, but it's not the truth. And we do this all the time. You know, we follow our gut. We, we follow coincidences that we feel you know, God-ordained, but it 
may not be. You know, rather, you know, we, we, may, we may get our own minds fixed on a particular thing. And so when we do, when we're trying to understand what God has for us, uh, everything we see really in our own interpretation is just confirmation of what we've already decided. Because we don't want to admit, I've already thought about this and decided this, so I'm going to ask God if this is what he wants me to do. And I'm only going to receive from outside sources things that confirm what I've already decided. And if something says different than what I've already decided, well, that's not from God, obviously. I mean, that's from Satan. I mean, I, I, you know, that came from Netflix. So that's not Jesus. And so I, I can't be what has, God has for me. God's got a hold of that person's, or Satan's got a hold of that person's life somehow. And so they're not speaking truth to me. And so we look for what we want to look for. Actually, sometimes we may rely more on Dr. Google than we rely on the King of Kings. Uh, and so we're looking to the wrong source sometimes. Just like these guys. And so they're looking to the wrong source. They want these dream books. And so Joseph says, guys, what's wrong? And they're troubled because they can't get the dream books. Look at the rest of verse 8. Joseph's response to them. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? So please tell these dreams to me. So Joseph's first instinct in hearing these guys and their troubles and their difficulties, his first instinct was to point these other people to the Lord. And in process, remind himself, I mean, he's stuck in prison, having been a slave, now he's in prison, reminding himself to turn to the Lord. But he's pointing them to the Lord, and he's communicating a principle that when troubled, turn to the truth. When troubled, turn to the truth. Don't turn to 15 different sources, turn to the truth. Now, you may say, well, hey, what that person told me is truth. I mean, it's true. But notice in that statement right there, I said, when trouble turned to the truth. I didn't say turn to some random truth. I didn't say turn to something that is true or you assume is true. Turn to the truth. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. So when you're troubled, you turn to the Lord. You don't turn to 15 different other sources. You turn to him. And if anything would seek to steer you away from Jesus, that's not from God. It's not. I mean, that's just blanket statement. Something tries to turn you away from Jesus, that's not Jesus. That's something else. I'm trying to whisper to you to get away from God. But when you're troubled, you turn to Jesus every time. So Joseph finds these guys, and they're troubled, and he turns them to God. He immediately tells them, well, your problem is you're not turning to God. And how quickly he did this tells us that this is what his life has been like, even as a slave. You know, we looked at last week how Potiphar recognized God's hand in Joseph's life, not just by simply how Joseph was living, obviously because of how quickly he communicated it here. He was communicating in Potiphar's house how much he followed the Lord. And so here he tells these guys, it is God's responsibility to interpret anything. God is the only one who knows everything. This is the only possible way. And so when they bring him a trouble, he's going to say, Turn to the Lord. And so when somebody brings you a trouble, let's turn to the Lord. Somebody says, well, I'm having difficulty, or even yourself, I'm having difficulty days, the troubled days is difficult. You need to communicate to yourself as well as to somebody else. Okay, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. It's like, if, it's like when your kid comes to you and says, I'm hungry. Go eat. <laughs> There's a simple solution to this. Go eat. Or you should have eaten your lunch. It's still on the counter. Go eat your lunch. Go eat. You get hungry, 
You go eat. You're troubled, you turn to the Lord. That's the only way you're going to fix the trouble. You might try to put a Band-Aid on it by finding another source, by trying to bring in more knowledge and more understanding, but that's just a Band-Aid. That's not going to fix the problem. The problem is deeper than surface level. The problem is way down deep within us, and Jesus is the only one who can fix the way down deep. You've got to allow him to penetrate the mess to bring up the peace. You've got to turn to the Lord. So when you're troubled, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're having conversations, when you're replaying conversations in your mind about what you should have said or what you will say next time, turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Don't allow the enemy, what does Scripture say? A foothold. Even just a little thing to grab onto in your mind. Don't allow him anything, any room whatsoever. Turn to the Lord when you're troubled. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the truth. The truth, not just some random truth. Turn to the truth, and that's Jesus. And so Joseph redirects these guys and points them to God. And so here's their dreams. So the chief cupbearer, he went first. He told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is his interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So Joseph interprets the dream with the direction of the Lord, and then Joseph gives in those last two verses, he says, just remember me when you get out of here. Remember me. Mention me to Pharaoh to get me out of prison. Get out of jail free card. Just, I shouldn't have been here. I'm innocent. I shouldn't any of this. I was stolen and sold into slavery. Just, Pharaoh's the only one who can get me out of this predicament. So just mention my name and the kindness I did to you when, you, he, when God restores you, and, and I can get out of prison. So Joseph, he, he presses his own hopeful plan to the cupbearer. I mean, if any of us were in Joseph's predicament, right, Sold, betrayed, sold into slavery, thrown into prison. I'd be thinking, I need to get out of here as quickly as humanly possible. This guy's about to get out in three days. All right, you're my ticket out. This is my plan. I'm going to mention to you, I've done you a kindness. I've told you what this dream means. You're going to get out of here. Now you can get me out of here. I mean, you've got an in with the Pharaoh. Just mention my name, and I'm out of prison. All's good. Just get me out of here as quick as possible. And so that's Joseph's plan. And so he presses his plan on the cupbearer. He wants the cupbearer to pull them out. Now, what I find interesting is Joseph had just received a word from the Lord. He had sought the Lord for the cupbearer, but he didn't seek the Lord for himself and what, the, what God had for him. You see, it was Joseph's plan to get out of here as quickly as possible. It was Joseph's plan to, to be removed from this situation as quickly as possible. But God's plan, we're going to find out, was actually to leave Joseph in prison for two more years and then remove him using circumstances that Joseph had never even thought of in a time that Joseph was not ready to receive. Because the circumstances in which God was going to remove Joseph from prison had to be just right. 
for what God had planned to do. Not just for Joseph, but for, for what God had planned to do for the entire civilized world through Joseph. And so Joseph had to sit in prison for two more years. Joseph's plan was to get out right now as quick as possible. God's plan was not yet. God's plan was not yet. But what Joseph will come to realize, and what we need to realize, is that the Lord's plans and the Lord's timing are always ultimately better. We may not see it in the moment. We may even be frustrated in the moment. But the Lord's plans and the Lord's timing are always, always ultimately better. I remember this one time. I was in college, and I was going to church, and I was leaving the church. And uh, uh, it was like a 30, 45-minute drive back to the school. And I'd gotten in my car, but some people were talking, front, you know, trying to get out of the parking lot from one car to another car. And so it took me an, an extra, you know, 20 seconds to get out of the parking lot, frustrated because it was taking me extra time to get on the highway and get back to the school. And so I'm driving. I, I can still picture, I can go there in my mind, I can picture everything that happened. I get on uh, uh, the Bush Turnpike, uh, get on I-35 going south, and I get almost to the point where I needed to turn off at uh, Highway 12, and this car, and, and this highway was like, you know, five or six lanes across. This car, in the far, I was in the left lane, far right lane, swerved all the way, out of control, all the way across traffic, about six feet in front of my car, slammed into the wall on the left side, and then swerved all the way back across traffic and swammed into the wall on the other side. If I had gotten out of that parking lot 10, 15, 20 seconds earlier, that car would have smashed right into my car. It wouldn't have been smashing into the wall. It would have been smashing into me, and I would have been smashing into that wall. You see, my frustration in getting out of the parking lot, I, in that moment, I had no idea that God was about to take care of me down the road. I had no idea that God getting slow getting out of the parking lot was really God's protection. That God had a plan in that process. I had no idea what was coming. No understanding. But I was frustrated in the moment. But God's plan and God's timing are always ultimately better. And that's just a small example. I mean, there's huge examples of this, not only throughout my life and our family's life, but in the life of our church and in some of your lives. I mean, even this week, some of you telling me your stories, God has done some phenomenal things that you didn't see, but he put the pieces in motion years ago. And we often don't see it until we see it in hindsight. And even then, we may not see it at all, but it's still there. God's plan and timing are always ultimately Better Because God said it this way in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, so many times we want to understand everything God is doing. We want to understand all the pieces that God is laying out. But the problem with that is we're not God. And so we don't have the... I mean, we simply don't have the mental capacity to try to take it all in. It just doesn't function that way, our brains. But even in the midst of that, God's not going to give us a full picture. 
He's not. That's why Jesus said we need to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And then tell me where my bread's coming from tomorrow, and then tell me where my bread's coming from the day after that. And then also, God, tell me where my bread's coming from next year. The prayer was simple. Give me this day my daily bread. And then trust him with everything. Trust him with the whole process. I've said it before. God's never going to give you a life where you don't need him. He's going to give you what you need now and trust him for what's coming next. And so here Joseph is in prison, gives this dream interpretation to the cupbearer that in three days this is going to happen, but get me out of here. Get me out of this prison. Well, that doesn't necessarily happen. Well, the chief baker speaks up next. So that was the cupbearer's interpretation. Three days, you're getting out of, out of prison. You're going to get your old job back. So this, this encourages the cupbearer, or the baker. You're like, man, he got a great deal. He's getting out of prison. He's getting his old job back. Well, here's my dream. Verse 16. Uh, the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable. He said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. Now, notice real quick. So the cupbearer, who deals with you know, wine and whatnot, his dream was about grapes. The baker, his dream... Uh, is about cake baskets. <laughs> so each of their dreams had to do with you know, their function in the Pharaoh's house. So he had three cake baskets on his head, verse 17. In the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And so the, the, the baker's thinking, all right, great, man, three days, just like the other guy, three days, I'm getting out of here. He's, God, God's going to lift up his head and Restore him to his place. God's going to lift my head. It's going to be phenomenal. And so Joseph continues. Uh, verse 19. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Well, he, what do you mean? His deal was better. What, he, he's going to lift my head from me? Okay, okay, hang on, Joseph. Um, let's go back. Maybe that's not exactly what I dreamed there. Maybe the birds were not eating out of the basket. Uh, I'd be trying to change the interpretation of the dream, but he said, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be executed. You're going to be executed. So day three comes, verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to him. So just as Joseph had interpreted from the word of the Lord, it happened in that exact way. Now, however this played out in Pharaoh, maybe he discovered it was the chief baker who was conspired to kill him. Maybe he discovered it was whatever the baker made for dinner that made him sick. Maybe because it's his birthday, he just didn't like the baker, and it was time to move on from there. But for whatever reason, Pharaoh gave the cupbearer his job back and executed the baker and removed him from the situation and promoted somebody else. Now look at verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Joseph was hopeful. They got removed from prison. He heard about the baker getting executed. He heard about the cupbearer getting his job back. And Joseph is sitting there in prison thinking, any moment they're going to come. Any He's hearing somebody come down the hall. Oh, here we go. I'm getting out of here right now. It doesn't happen. Next day, okay, now he, he had to wait a day. I mean, get past the king's birthday. It still doesn't happen. And he's still in prison. Day after day, nobody comes to pull him out of prison. And we have those 
I think, extremely sad words. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph is forgotten. He's alone. Undoubtedly, he felt like he was in prison with no way out. His plan, I mean, he's thinking all the cupbearer had to do was just say, hey, there's this guy in prison. He interpreted dreams, interpreted for us, and it was right. You need to get him out of prison. King. I mean, usually the cupbearer and the king were pretty tight. They, they were a very trusting relationship. They were good friends um, uh, in, in many of these cultures. But the cupbearer got out of prison and was so caught up in the moment of getting his job back and not getting executed like the other guy that he just forgot Joseph, forgot him altogether. And so Joseph is sitting there by himself, no way out. You know, in the past, he had had visions of people bowing down to him. And here he is in prison, as far removed from the realization of that dream as possible. You know, nobody's bowing down to him in honor. He's, he's nowhere near a place, of honor, uh, a place of honor. He's in an Egyptian prison. But what he didn't realize is that he was in reality only one step away from far surpassing his limited understanding of what God had for him next. You see, no matter how I have interpreted or how I understand my own situation or things in my life, I have to come to the same realization that hit Joseph. If I'm still breathing, God's not done. Joseph may have thought he's in prison. It's all over. There's nothing else I can do. What God had for me, I cannot accomplish. I'm in prison. But he was still breathing, and so God was not done yet. Joseph couldn't, simply couldn't see how God was going to make it work. But it wasn't for Joseph to see how God was going to make it work. It was simply for Joseph to trust that God knew what he was doing. And so if you're still breathing, God's not done. He's not done. You just may need to wait on the Lord. You just may need to wait on him. You say, I don't like, I don't, I don't like waiting. And what's happening to me now, there's no way God's going to fix this. There's no way. I mean, metaphorically, people are shooting at me every single day, and there's no way out of this situation. Let me tell you about a, a, a young man. At this time, he was, he was pretty young. Anybody ever heard of George Washington? You ever heard of George Washington? You think he did anything big in his life, ever? He's just some dude everybody's heard of sometimes. States named after him. First president, father of our nation, president of the Constitutional Convention, kind of a big deal. Well, back several decades before any of that stuff happened, back in 1755, so birth of the nation, 1776, can we all agree on that, history teacher? Can we agree on that? Okay, thank you. Just want to make sure I'm right. Uh, well, back in, yeah, I'm sure you know this story. Back in 1755, George Washington was in a particular battle, trying to lead his troops, which were at the time, ragtag group of guys, and George is one of the only dudes up on a horse, riding into battle. And he's a big guy, well over six feet tall. He's got a hat on, got a coat on. And if you're the enemy, and you see God, everybody running at you, but there's this big guy on a horse, who are you going to shoot at? The big guy on the horse. So George Washington is in battle on the horse, and then his horse gets shot out from under him and dies. And the horse collapses and George falls off the horse. And so he, he doesn't run with his men. He grabs another horse and rides his horse through the battle. That horse gets shot. And he 
falls off of that horse and finishes the battle and goes back. And they're having a debrief afterwards. And they realize not only were two horses shot out from under him, and he continued, he had four bullet holes through the coat he was wearing. But he didn't have one scratch on him. Not one scratch. Because God still had something for him to do. And so the laws of physics didn't matter because God still had something for him to do. The horse can get shot out from under him. There can be bullet holes all throughout his clothing. But there's not a scratch because God still has something for him to do. He was still breathing at the end of the day because God still had something for him to do. Same is true in your life. You're still breathing. You may feel like you've had horses shot out from under you <laughs> and, and they collapsed on your leg and you can't get up. You may feel like you took some, sh- you took some hits. You took some shots. You didn't get out unscathed, but you're still breathing. So God's still got something for you to do. He's not done yet. When he's done with you, he's going to take you. I mean, don't worry about that. God knows how to do all that. He, he can figure that out. But if you're still breathing, he's not done yet. You just may, may need to wait on him. Here's Joseph thinking he knew how God was going to accomplish what he was going to accomplish, and then he was betrayed, and then he was sold, and he was sold again, and then he was put in prison, and now he's rotting in prison, and he has no idea how God's going to pull it off, but he doesn't need to know how God's going to pull it off. He just needs to trust that God is going to do what God said he's going to do, and so you've got to know if you're still breathing, God's not done. You've still got something to accomplish. You've still got a purpose for him. Yeah, but I did so much stuff in my past. Yeah, but you don't know what happened yesterday. But you don't know who my boss is. But you don't know my financial situation. No, I don't. But I do know who your God is. And so none of that stuff matters. You know what Paul wrote? God likes to use the foolish things of the world to do the great things of the world. That doesn't mean you're foolish. Maybe some of you are. But that doesn't mean you are. That just means the things that the world doesn't think are great. I mean, look at David, teenage shepherd boy, to win a battle against one of the greatest warriors on the planet. I mean, if any of us were picking teams to who's going to fight Goliath, David would be last. I mean, we, we would pick the sheep before we pick David. He's a shepherd. He doesn't know anything about fighting. He's delivering cheese. He's a cheese delivery boy. He doesn't know anything. But God had a plan. God had a plan through David. What about Daniel? Daniel, another teenage kid taken as a a prisoner of war, brainwashed, sent through brainwashing school. God had a plan for Daniel. God's got a plan for you. Or what about if you want to pick the greatest missionary on the face of the earth? You may be thinking of a list of people. Who does God pick? Somebody who hates Jesus. He picks somebody who hates Jesus to be the greatest testifier of Jesus. You see, your plans and God's plans may not always make sense, may not always match up. But if you're still breathing, God's still got something for you to do. And you may not get it. You may not understand it. I just, read, I just finished a biography of Billy Graham. You know, before Billy Graham went off to be an evangelist and saw hundreds of millions of people hear the gospel, and they, they, they estimate from all the crusades that he preached, there has never been a single person on the planet to preach to more, to, to speak, not even just preach, to speak to more people live than Billy Graham. And he spoke to these people, and so many hundreds, probably hundreds of thousands, hundreds of millions of people got saved. But he was a pastor in a church before he was that guy. And the church didn't like it very much. 
he did not like it. He had all these ideas, and they were like, no, sir, Bob, we are not, no. We are not liking you, Mr. Billy Graham. You, you know, he, he was in early 20s at the time, and, you know, he had all this confidence and boldness, and they just didn't like it. And he, he only lasted there just a little bit, and then he left. But now that church is a historical landmark, and there's a big old plaque out in front of the church. They're very proud of Billy Graham now. But at the time, they weren't. They, didn't think, they actually thought, God's never going to do anything with this guy. No. He, he can't preach. He doesn't know how, what people are going through. God can't use him at all. He's too prideful. God can't use him. But then God goes and uses him more than anybody else alive at the time. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, whatever decisions you've made, do not disqualify you from what God has yet to do through you. He's still got something for you to do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. It's not finished until you're finished. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. And then what happened? He breathed his last. It wasn't finished till it was finished. It ain't over till it's over. You're still breathing because God's not done with you yet. You just may need to wait on him. Maybe you feel like you're in prison like Joseph and you don't know what's coming next, but you've got to wait. Don't jump the gun. Don't try to do something in advance of God making it happen. Don't try to force it. I mean, that was Abraham chasing Hagar, and that turned into a terrible situation. Just wait until God's got something for you now. I mean, there's so many scriptures on waiting for the Lord. Let me give you a few. Psalm 27. I believe that I shall look on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What a great verse of hope. But then the next verse, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You don't know what's coming. So what does David say? Wait for the Lord. Wait for him. Wait for him. Wait for him. Wait for him. Don't, don't try to think you know what he's saying when you haven't even sought him out. Like Joseph hadn't even sought him out when he says this. Just get me out of prison as quick as possible. Wait for the Lord and trust him. Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope. In his word, not my word. In his word I find hope in the waiting. And then Isaiah chapter 40. Have you not, heard, uh, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We can't know everything he knows. Verse, next verse. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Perseverance doesn't come because you've experienced it before. Steadfastness, a firm footing, doesn't come because you've been here before. It comes because of who's coming with you. You wait on the Lord, and what does that verse say? Verse 31, you will renew your strength. Renew it. You ever feel exhausted from the fight? You ever feel battle-weary? You ever feel like you just don't want to go and hit the day again and face the same stuff over and over and over? You just want to sleep and not let your mind run into all these different directions. 
Well, what it says there, if you wait for the Lord, you will renew your strength. Not receiving the word, that doesn't renew your strength. Waiting for the Lord renews your strength. Because waiting for the Lord, what that means is I'm waiting on him. I am trusting him, not myself. I am trusting him in the waiting. I'm waiting on him to bring the answer. I'm waiting on him to give me the next step. I'm waiting on him to show me what's next. I'm waiting on what he has for me. And only in the waiting on him and the trusting in him will there be a renewed sense of strength. Will there be enough energy to get up and do again? Will there be the peace that passes understanding, waiting on the Lord. So if I'm still breathing, God's not done, but the only way to do what God's got for me to do is to wait for him to tell me what to do. And in the waiting, I can find strength. I can find what I need for what's coming yet. So God's not done with you. Where in your life right now do you need to be waiting for him? Where do you need to be waiting where do you need to push pause for a second? There's someone in the room who made a decision yesterday that is not what God wants you to do. I don't know who this is for. I just know it's what God wants you to hear. And you're not waiting. You didn't seek him out. You just made the decision based on a pro and con list, and God's got something else. You just got to wait for him. Wait for the Lord. Where in your life do you need to wait for the Lord? So God's not done with you. He actually has a very specific plan for you. So will you come to the Lord today? Will you come to him today? Seek him out today. Maybe for the very first time. And what that means is believing in him. That God sent Jesus, his son, to die so that all your sins would be forgiven. All of them. All of them. Even the ones you think are unforgivable. Even the ones that those people around you keep reminding you of even the ones you keep reminding yourself of. He came to forgive you of all of those, even the stuff you're going to do in two years you haven't even considered yet. He's already going to forgive that if you believe in him. Believe that he died to pay for all of your sins, and then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And if you want to come to Jesus and believe in that today, this is that moment. This is that time. Come to Jesus today. Whether you're in the room or you're watching online, and you're trying to skip ahead right now, but YouTube's not working right. So God wants you to hear this. Come to Jesus. In just a second, we're going to pray. And uh, after we pray, you have an opportunity to make a decision for Jesus. Will you come to him today? Will you follow him today? Will you do what he has for you today? Whether, whether you are a believer and you need to wait on him in a particular area in your life, and maybe he's already speaking it to you in your mind, and you're right now arguing with him about it, or maybe you need to come to Jesus for the very first time, and this is that moment. We're going to sing this song. I'm going to be standing here at the front. I'll also be here after the service to talk with you and pray with you and celebrate with you if you want to make a decision for Jesus. Don't walk out the room if he's got a decision for you to make. You see, we're supposed to wait on the Lord until he gives us a word of what we're supposed to do next. And the moment he gives us that word, we've got to do it. The waiting's over. It's time to take the step. And if you're online and watching this, there's a button right below wherever you're watching this that says, I made a decision. If you click that button, I think it asks for your name, a way to contact it, your phone number, email, and then what your decision was. And then as soon as you hit submit, that comes right to my phone. And I will call you this afternoon and we'll celebrate.
that decision. And I want to pray with you and tell you what's next. What's the next step you can do for the Lord? You can do that if you're in the room too. You, you feel a little funky coming down front during this next song. Fine, you can go to our website and click on that, thequeen.church. I think it's like the second button on the page. 